Hello, listeners, and welcome to the 18th episode of the Always Drive podcast, your weekly look at the latest news from the car, truck, and motorcycle industries, where we take ourselves about as seriously as we do FCC Chairman Ajit Pai's qualifications for his job, where he will take away the free internet before going back to his cushy gig at Verizon. I'm your host, Devlin Riggs, and in my haste last week to discuss Salt Lake City's excellent car scene, I sort of forgot to update everyone on the presentation that I gave gave on May the 4th. Um, it was a Star Wars-themed presentation for the energy industry, and my co-host was the lovely R2-D2, who was up in my PowerPoint uh, presentation, and it went great. Um, it was only five minutes long, and it was the very last thing in the entire conference, uh, but a surprising amount of people stuck around for it, and the feedback I got was really excellent, so uh, it was a a nice uh, reassurance that I sort of know what I'm talking about in my real job. Um, So I got back to uh, sort of a normal schedule this week, which is why you're seeing a podcast at a normal time. And I got actually the chance to discuss this podcast with a couple of my friends this week who either have or do listen to it. And I spoke with one of my friends, Chrissy, who said that she listened to the podcast a while back, but then it became all sort of just a little bit too much for her. And uh, yeah, I know, great friend, right? Uh, but I, I'm interested always to know, uh, you know, what it is that works and doesn't work and in her opinion, the too much was uh, that I tend to get into the weeds a little bit in terms of the like car industry news. And I know last week, of course, I talked about sales figures, and and that does dive pretty deep, even though it's not the deep dive segment, into some businessy type of stuff, which may fall a little bit outside the realm of you know car, truck, and motorcycle news. So, uh, you know, I, I started this podcast just sort of doing things for me and trying to figure out what I'm interested in. And I am still interested in that. But I think there are enough stories out there that I can drive a successful podcast without sort of getting into the nitty gritty of the business side of things. So I'm going to try to uh, touch on those things briefly, but not really go as in-depth as I have been going before. So uh, with that, let's uh, kick it off with our top stories this week. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. Everyone to your battle stations because Toyota is officially in crisis mode. Following the release of new financial figures that showed the company's income is down 21%, company president Akio Toyota sent uh, all corporate communications and marketing professionals in the world into a frenzy by using the C word in an interview. Uh, Apparently, according to Mr. Toyota, the company isn't approaching the manufacturer of cars from the customer's perspective and that their vehicles are consequently not attractive enough to buyers, thus creating the crisis. While I'm not sure he chose the right word here, uh, his English is excellent, but it is his second language, and sometimes things can get a bit lost in translation, he's not wrong that the auto industry as a whole is facing some disruption right now. He said the present automobile industry is being asked to make a paradigm shift. 
I want to continue planting seeds with a look to 10 or even 20 years into the future. When it comes to electric vehicles, every car, be it the Yaris or whatever, once it is electrified, the acceleration is all the same. The reason I am responsible for EVs as well is that I don't want to make these cars a commodity. Even with the electrification of these vehicles, I want the prefix, I love you, to be affixed to these cars, end quote. A couple of interesting things are worth looking at here. Uh, one is his seed planting really means that Toyota is spending about $9 billion on R&D this year alone in order to just keep up with the other manufacturers who are also working on that same paradigm shift, which, by the way, is one of my least favorite buzzwords or phrases. Uh, Toyota has also partnered with a company called Cartivator, which makes the ominously named Skydive, a flying car that they hope will be ready to roll out by the 2020 Olympics in Tokyo. Uh, talk about a paradigm shift. Uh, anyway, interesting thing number two, he put himself as the president and CEO in charge of the electric vehicle division because he thought it was so important that he would oversee it personally. And important thing number three, or interesting thing number three, once everything is electrified, acceleration is all the same, he said. That's probably the most transformative thing about electric cars, the sameness. Now, every four-cylinder motor from every manufacturer is different and provides a different experience to drive. Uh, in electric vehicles, sure, the company can decide uh, how their gearing is set up for acceleration, but in all these cases, 100% of torque is available immediately in every car, in every EV. Toyota knows that, and in order to keep buyers coming back when all cars are electric, they have to make their cars feel special, and he realizes that. So I think that's a very good sign for Toyota fanboys like myself, whose first car was a Toyota. So in my mind, crisis averted, or crisis, you know, to be diverted. Um, this week... In recalls, uh, there were a lot of recalls this week. Audi is recalling every A7 model it sold in the U.S. over the past three years for side curtain airbag issues. Uh, it turns out when they were designing the four-door car to look more like a two-door car by making it stupidly long and sloping with less rear headroom, they also made it unsafe. Uh, while this isn't related to the Takata airbag recalls, it does include the S7 and RS7 models, so get yours checked out if you have one, and also if you have one, please give me some of your mountains of money. Um, Hyundai has recalled about 240,000 vehicles for issues with vacuum pipes, fuel hoses, parking brake-like issues, and several other apparently faulty parts. The interesting thing here is that Hyundai earlier refused to recall these cars for these issues, but were forced to do so after an engineer who had worked at the company for 25 years leaked the potential safety hazards to South Korean media. He was fired for the breach of trust with the company, but the courts there have his back uh, and have, uh, well, they forced the company to rehire him after a wrongful termination lawsuit. Ultimately, though, he resigned and settled for, no doubt, some serious cash. But it has sort of been seen as a bit of a culture shock for South Korea, which is a country that generally has very rigid corporate hierarchies and where whistleblowers are, are more often met with scorn than with praise. 
So hopefully this victory for the engineer will encourage more proactive approaches to safety uh, as, as the Korean manufacturing industry moves forward. Surprising no one, uh, Fiat Chrysler has recalled 1.25 million pickup trucks worldwide for faulty sensors in the side airbags that have been already linked to a couple of deaths. Uh, as if being in a Fiat Chrysler car enough didn't feel like death, uh, actual death is legitimately worse. So here's hoping that the death toll stops there. And if you have a Ram, definitely go get it checked out. Volkswagen, which still hopes you've forgotten about Dieselgate, recalled more than 280,000 Golf, Golf Sport Wagon, and GTI models unrelated to uh, Dieselgate, uh, but they were recalled for potential fuel leaks this week. Apparently, parts of the gas tank were, and I quote, assembled with too much tension, uh, meaning Klaus screwed them in too tight. Uh, of course, Germans would be the only car company for having something assembled too well. Um, Diesel Fuel uh, had a a really bad week this week, Uh, starting out with the news that Volvo would no longer be developing any new diesel motors following the current crop of engines that are found in some of their cars. They said that increasing standards for reduction of nitrogen oxide simply meant that it wasn't cost-effective to continue pursuing R&D on diesel when gasoline and electric motors really appear to be the way forward. Volvo doesn't have an EV yet, but is expected to launch its first electric vehicle uh, year after next in 2019. Also this week, the Justice Department announced that it's on the verge of suing Fiat Chrysler for excess diesel emissions if a deal could uh, to avoid lit- litigation could not be reached uh, with the manufacturer. Fiat Chrysler has maintained that although the software for their cars did allow the vehicles to emit more nitrogen oxide than permitted, that the software was not designed to do so by the developers. Uh, it's... It's really a, a rare circumstance where a company would rather look incompetent than criminal, but it's Fiat Chrysler, so traditional rules definitely don't apply. Also for diesel this week, uh, the Volkswagen uh, cars with the diesel cheating uh, fix applied were tested, and they were found to uh, produce less power and uh, perform not as well, and of of course they were. I mean, the whole point of the diesel cheating software was to emit more so that the cars could perform better. So if you're removing that, uh, you know, that software that helped them perform better by uh, emitting more so that they emit less, of course the, the outcome is going to be that way. So I don't know why people felt the need to test them because that was the inevitable conclusion. But sure enough, the diesels don't quite represent what buyers thought they would be getting. Then, just yesterday, a study was published in Nature that found that diesel engines produced 5 million more tons of nitrogen oxide than previously estimated uh, in 2015. Apparently, this gross underestimation means that now more than 38,000 premature deaths can be attributed to the increased nitrogen oxide gases released by diesel cars that year alone, 
In the U.S., we saw about 1,100 premature deaths due to nitrogen oxide exposure. But in China and areas of Europe where uh, populations are more concentrated, diesel has been far more deadly. Uh, I mean, there's definitely a reason that more stringent guidelines are coming up and why that's pushing out Volvo and other manufacturers. So the diesel is just proving to be more dangerous than uh, is feasible for car companies to continue pursuing. And while diesel had a pretty bad week, diesel had nothing on Uber, who had a no-good, very bad week. Starting off with reports that engineer uh, that an engineer Uber hired from Google, the guy who supposedly bought brought 14,000 secrets with him, has been barred from working on LiDAR in Uber's autonomous car program, which uh, was a big setback from the company. While that didn't completely stall development like they thought the judge might, a report from TechSide Recode indicates that instead of waiting for a court to decide the program's fate, many of Uber's self-driving engineers are actively looking for jobs elsewhere, trying to escape the sinking ship. Um, and it's not like these jobs are going to be really hard to come by. This is a very growing segment. So even if a judge doesn't stop development, it might stop by itself just by having not enough people to work on their engineering. So then on Monday, Uber's car-sharing nemesis Lyft signed a deal with Uber's autonomous car nemesis Google, or Waymo in this case, to collaborate on self-driving technology. Now, my wife told me about this. She read the headline in the car while we were driving to dinner on Monday, and I immediately said, well, that's the nail in Uber's coffin. The funny thing is, I've read that same headline probably three times since then, so it's definitely a really bad sign if a lot of people are coming to this same conclusion independently. Uh, Lyft hadn't really previously had any plans on developing self-driving tech. They had a partnership with GM uh, just on a couple vehicles, but the partnership with Waymo to reduce reliance on drivers and just maybe to twist the knife in Uber proved way too good for them to pass up. Uber is also facing a criminal probe into the use of its James Bond villain named Grayball software, which helped drivers evade capture by police in markets where the company was not allowed to operate, uh, like it was the case here in St. Louis for a long time. Uber's had a ton of bad publicity recently, from the information it tracks about its users to the actions of its douchebag CEO, but the collection of news from this past week may be the worst prognosis for the company's future yet. It's still too early to tell what the fallout will be from the lawsuit or the criminal probe or the engineer exodus, um, but it's safe to say the future is not looking bright for Uber. So those are our top headlines. Uh, let's now look at some quick hits this week. Travelers heading to Paris will soon have a new way to get around the city as Bosch has just purchased 600 Gogoro EV smart scooters for its Coupe Mobility service, which is sort of like a ride-sharing thing the German company does also in Berlin. The Gogoro scooters are neat because they have swappable batteries, so if you're just cruising around the city and run out of juice, just pull up to a station, swap batteries, and you're on your way again. 
I could make fun of France for having a German company come in and try to solve its traffic congestion problems, or for the fact that I've never heard of Gogoro before. It sort of sounds like a Mortal Kombat villain. But honestly, this sounds like it's probably the best way to experience Paris. So, more power to them. Tire manufacturer Michelin has sort of come out and said they want you to buy less of their product this week. Apparently, Europe is looking at increasing the legal minimum tread depth for tires before replacement, but Michelin says there's no link between tread depth and accident rates, and that drivers replace their tires too early already. Instead, they say we should focus on wet braking performance and figure out where the line is when old, wet tires start to perform appreciably worse than new tires. They conveniently did not provide that information, but we should just go ahead and take their word for it. Trust them. They know good restaurants. Um, we haven't heard a whole lot from Harley-Davidson since their all-electric live wire concept several months ago, which looked awesome, by the way. But the company is making up for lost time, saying that we should expect more than 100 new models of bikes from them over the next 10 years. 100 new bikes! Uh, granted, each of their core models now of motorcycle has like 10 to 12 special editions available, and I can barely tell any of them apart. So that may be a bit like playing Spot the Difference Harley-Davidson Edition, which itself would be a special edition of the Spot the Difference game. Ford is cutting its white-collar workforce by 10%, or about 1,400 jobs, in preparation for a sales slowdown and to refocus their investment on expensive future technologies like robots that would have replaced those damn pencil pushers anyway. The cuts come from virtually every department except, conveniently, the executive suite, and do not affect, ma affect manufacturing plants. The president weighed in on the matter, encouraging all the white-collared workers that they would be able to find jobs in the iPhone plant he's going to force Apple to build here. That's not real. Sell, sell, sell! Uh, no, that's not the New York Stock Exchange. That's General Motors headquarters in Detroit. Not content to just abandon Opel to Le Franche, GM is abandoning the entire countries of South Africa and India, the world's second most populous nation. Apparently, those countries simply weren't profitable enough for the company, which is paring down and focus, focusing on its core markets, which is a sound business practice, even if it does sacrifice huge potential in India. Right now, GM is content to let Tata and Suzuki and other cheap car manufacturers hoover up the sales while they concentrate on driving around in their sick-ass Camaros, giving Ford's headquarters in Dearborn the big single-fingered salute. Think Volvo is content to limit its, uh, its autonomous vehicle research to its partnership with Uber? Wrong! And probably good for them that they didn't. It's not just any vehicle they're researching, though. It's a garbage truck. Unlike trucks with claws on them that we have here that reach down and grab the trash and then dump it in. They, in Europe and many other countries, they still have burly men drive 20 feet, or as they say in Europe, meters, get out of the car, pick up the trash cans, dump them in the bin, then climb back in the car and drive another 20-whatevers. The Volvo autonomous truck manages all the driving, so pickup takes half the time, and the trash men get to have a nice leisurely stroll in between residences. What's next for Volvo's autonomous vehicle division? Street sweepers? Meter maids? Tow trucks? The sky is truly the limit for them. Range anxiety could be a thing of the past if we could just get past the whole charging issue, but there's good news from Israel of all places. The Israeli government is testing a wireless charging road, which functions for EVs the same way my Galaxy S7 does when charging wirelessly. 
Basically, the batteries on the bottoms of the buses or other vehicles get a charge wirelessly just by driving along the road. It's all quite complicated to explain, but apparently simply simple to install, so it's probably only a matter of time before your parents start asking you, well, how don't you get electrocuted if you walk in the street then? Zero Motorcycles, makers of a few electric on- and off-road bikes, have started a don't-wait-for-Washington campaign that assures their buyers will still receive the 10% federal tax credit available for electric bikes, even if the U.S. government fails to reinstate it. The government will match the tax credit up to almost 1900 bucks on new 2017 bikes, which is a pretty cool gesture in a time uh, when a lot of the government really doesn't have its shit together. General Motors said that the 49 million tires it buys each year will start coming from sustainable natural rubber, which is an initiative aimed at helping small rubber farmers and also guarding against future rubber shortages due to over-deforestation. GM is apparently developing a set of purchasing requirements that call for sustainably harvested rubber and encouraging other automakers to follow similar practices to reduce deforestation, as I mentioned, and uphold human rights and uh, labor laws. Hipsters all around the world will rejoice in discovering yet another cause they can say they were behind before it was cool. Now, let's look at some of the cool new cars that were announced or spied this week. First up this week, Fiat Chrysler was spied testing a Chrysler 300 with a wide body kit and rolling on the Dodge Demon's drag radials, which has prompted some speculation that there could be a 300 Hellcat in development. If you think that doesn't make any sense, just consider that Chrysler blamed the failure of the 200 sedan on the design for the rear seat entry, which, by the way, CEO Sergio Marchione admitted they stole from the Hyundai Sonata. It makes sense that they would want to stick with what they know, which is stuffing comically large engines into whatever car they have available at the moment. I suppose now we should start uh, expecting a Chrysler Town & Country Hellcat as well. For those of you shopping for crossovers who tried the Subaru Forester and thought, it's nice, but it's it's not quite black enough for me. Well, great news. Subaru is following Honda, Nissan, Chevy, and GM in offering a black version of its wagon on stilts. In exchange for over $1,150, you will pay over the price of the Forester's most premium model. You get so much black stuff. Wheels, fog light trim, badges, mirror caps, and the grill. But once you step inside the vehicle, are you bathed in pure creamy beigeness typical to Subaru interiors? No way, man. More black. Finally, all you practical goth parents will have a car the same color as your soul. For those of us whose souls are not black, but are instead warmed by the company of our favorite bird of prey, It has until now been a pretty bleak year on the luxury SUV front. Fortunately, Bentley has recognized the clear gap in the avian auto industry, and its in-house customization shop, Mulliner, has released a version of their Bentayga SUV kitted out exclusively for falconry. I realize I try not to go too in-depth in this new car segment, but I absolutely have to read for you the description of this vehicle's features from Bentley. 
At the heart of the Bentley Falconry by Mulliner are two individual natural cork fabric trimmed units, a master flight station, and a refreshment case. These sit on movable tray that allows for easy access. Inside the master flight unit is a special piano black veneer drawer with a Saker Falcon crest containing bespoke storage for all the equipment required for this unique sport. Beneath this is a laser-embossed Hotspur hide stowage tray and individual compartments for a GPS bird tracking unit, binoculars, and handcrafted leather bird hoods and gauntlets, all of which are available as an additional option. The refreshment case houses three metal flasks and durable cups, a blanket, and refreshing face cloths. Naturally, a vehicle of this caliber is a perfect fit for you dear listeners, but no details on pricing have been released yet. I'm told that if you arrange for your butler to call their headquarters in England before tea time, they will be able to provide such information. For the more pedestrian taste, Nissan has released a teaser image of their upcoming second-generation Leaf, Taking a page out of Dodge's book, the teaser only shows a single headlight, which looks suspiciously like the taillights of the current generation Audi TT. There's not much to see, and we should be getting a full look at the car in September, but what you can see looks pretty nice. Uh, Could it be that Nissan is going to blow us away with a new car and really go after the Tesla Model 3 and Chevy Bolt? I guess time will tell if Nissan is ready to overhaul their electric car and turn over a new leaf. Hey, you're a great crowd. Thank you. Thank you and thank you. Hey, waka waka. Ah, waka waka waka. If Fiat Chrysler has one thing going well for them, it's the Jeep Wrangler, so they're doing exactly what you'd expect and exploiting the hell out of it. First, they started by adding two doors, elongating the wheelbase, and making it look hideous. Now they're taking that long wheelbase and chopping off the top bit of the back to make it a full-blown pickup truck. It keeps the four doors because why would you get rid of them? It's ugly, it's gonna be a bad pickup, but you just know it's gonna sell well. Damn it, Jeep. If you've been thinking, hey, it's been a while since I've heard about a car we'll probably never get to actually see, well, the wait is over. Elextra, a company from Switzerland, has just unveiled its nameless car, which will be an EV with 680 horsepower that'll do 0 to 60 60, 60, in under 2.3 seconds. Only 100 will be made by hand in Germany and shipped off to people with more money to spend on a car than I had to spend on a house, Uh, actually more than double the amount, but they say it'll come out in 2019. Good luck, Elextra. I hate your name, but I love your numbers. Uh, In real car news, BMW has shared some info on the forthcoming M5, which has a tough act to follow, the last car being a fire-breathing V10 with 500 horsepower on tap to shred the rear wheels, or tires. Fortunately, the new car looks up to the task with a twin-turbo V8 making 600 horsepower through an 8-speed transmission um, that will be only an automatic transmission, and it'll have all-wheel drive. Uh, It's not actually just all-wheel drive, though. It has three settings, four-wheel drive, four-wheel drive sport, which apparently enhances the handling somehow, and two-wheel drive, where all the power goes to the front wheels. Just kidding, it goes to the rear. Front-wheel drive is for the feeble, like me. 
Anyway, BMW says it'll be faster than the old car because if it were slower, everyone would just go buy a Mercedes. A Lamborghini was spotted this week blasting around the Nürburgring because that's the only place anyone ever needs to test cars and the only place a spy photographer really needs to camp out. Unfortunately, it's not a normal Lamborghini. It's the Urus, or Urus, I don't know how to pronounce it, the much maligned sport utility vehicle the company is set to debut soon. You can get a pretty good idea of the general shape of the crossover from the images that uh, were published uh, it, it looks a lot like the Cadillac SRX, and th that's not a super positive thing, especially when you think about an SRX with a Lamborghini face on it. Just like the Porsche Cayenne before it, it will be a sacrilege to true car enthusiasts, but it will sell well enough to keep Lamborghini afloat and offering other things like our next new car. That would be the Lamborghini Centenario, a track-only carbon fiber V12 beast with 770 horsepower that'll do 0 to 62 in under 3 seconds. It's based on the Aventador, but only 20 coupes and 20 roadsters will be made. It looks really sharp, especially in its black and yellow paint scheme, making it the perfect vehicle for bee enthusiasts or Pittsburgh Pirate or Stiller fans. Uh, in obituaries this week, um, we do actually have one to cover. Uh, this week, the truth about cars verified that 2016 was indeed the final year for the Nissan Quest, which was probably the most actually Japanese-looking Japanese minivan on the market. Minivan sales are down big time, and Nissan was never really ahead of Toyota or Honda in that segment, so it's not too surprising but it is disappointing since it's probably a better car for most people than the Nissan Armada or Pathfinder, both of which live on. So rest in peace, Nissan Quest. Now let's jump into our deep dive segment. Mazda's current marketing campaign could have been tailor-made for listeners of this show, enthusiasts who love cars and for whom driving matters. Mazda's products, for the most part, live up to the promise of providing consumers with an engaging, enjoyable experience, regularly winning comparison tests and consumer recommendations. But for a lot of buyers, their message isn't sticking, and it's not driving customers into showrooms. Mazda's brand loyalty is at a paltry 39%, compared with an industry average 53. Sales were at a 21-year high in 2015, but have slowed steadily since, only rising slightly this year, but Mazda's overall market share in the U.S. is still just 1.7%. So what are they doing wrong? First, I think it's good to focus on what Mazda is doing right. Their CX-5, Mazda's best-selling model, is America's 20th best-selling crossover. And while that may not be a high number, that's a very, very crowded field where it's hard to stand out. The Mazda 3 is America's 23rd best-selling car and offers, arguably, a better driving experience than its closest competitors. These two models combined account for 7 out of 10 of all Mazdas sold, which is part of where the issues start. Problem number one is choice. Mazda isn't present in 40% of the U.S. market segments. While they largely have the popular crossover market covered with the CX-3, CX-5, and CX-7, 
They are only now getting into the large crossover segment with a competitive vehicle in the new CX-9, and have no full-size sedan, no true SUV, no pickup, and most importantly, no true sports car. Sure, they have the MX-5 Miata, which some sites will tell you is the answer to every question. Every question except maybe, where's the power? Which leads to problem number two, power. Mazda's last attempt at a sports car, the RX-8, was a strange mess of doors and a thirsty rotary motor that made little power and required too much maintenance. For a company whose tagline was Zoom Zoom and is now driving matters, to not have a fast, fun-to-drive car seems entirely antithetical. Many enthusiasts, myself included, still drool over the last-generation RX-7, despite its litany of mechanical faults because it was so beautiful and drove so well. Although its name lived on in the RX-8, the spirit faded, but was found again by some in the Mazda Speed 3, which, despite being a completely different layout to the RX-7, still produced a similar amount of smiles per mile. There's still a hunger for these types of vehicles, which I discussed last week. The Focus and Fiesta ST and the Fusion Sport are still selling well while their underpowered siblings gather pollen on dealer lots. Yet Mazda's new label for those Mazda Speed vehicles? Childish. Problem three, then, is brand positioning. Mazda's striving for a 2% market share and thinks it will get there by taking their cars up market to compete with more luxurious manufacturers like Lexus and Acura. The issues here are manifold. When Toyota and Honda decided they wanted to start selling luxury cars, they knew that brand associations wouldn't allow them to sell them as Hondas and Toyotas. So instead they started new brands which, would have, which have been largely successful. Hyundai recently found this out the hard way with their Genesis and Equus, which, despite being genuinely nice, luxurious cars, didn't sell because they were Hyundais. They're now being broken out under the Genesis brand. Mazda are not known for their refinement. Cabin noise, vibration, and rattles are constant complaints, and it's going to be tough for Mazda to compete with other luxury brands without offering a V6, even with the high-output turbo Skyactiv 4-cylinder from the CX-9. Speaking of engines, we've arrived at problem four, power plant diversity. Right now, Ford offers vehicles with gasoline and diesel engines, as well as hybrids, plug-in range-extended hybrids, and electric vehicles, while Honda and Toyota offer most of those along with a hydrogen fuel cell vehicle. Mazda? Just gasoline. Sure, the brand wants to bring diesel engines to its CX-5 this year, but you know what isn't a very luxurious prospect? A diesel motor. Mazda also says they will be introducing an EV in 2019, with a plug-in hybrid to follow probably in 2021, which not only seems a bit backwards, it seems a little too little too late. In an age where we're already preparing for a hybrid Mustang, not even having a hybrid Mazda 6, when Ford has been producing a hybrid mid-sized sedan for nine years, smacks of mismanagement and poor forecasting. Masahiro Moro, Mazda's North American CEO, who called the Mazda Speed vehicles childish, speaks highly of their plans to achieve a full 2% of the U.S. market, but Given the conflicts between their current products and their ideal product positioning, as well as their declining attention paid to the enthusiast market, it's hard to see where this optimism originates.
In the meantime, they'll keep telling us in commercials that driving matters. But for those who love cars and agree with the tagline, you can find them at the Nissan dealership, checking out the aging 370Z, or parking their brand new Focus RS in their driveway. Finally this week, um, today we found out that a Soundgarden and Audioslave frontman Chris Cornell died overnight of an apparent suicide in Detroit right after a show. Um, while my brother was big into Nirvana and Kurt Cobain, I was always way more into Soundgarden as a kid. Um, that was my grunge phase, and I was trying my best to emulate Cornell's voice and memorize his melodic poetry, which was so serious and exactly what a sort of angsty little white boy needed. I know a lot of great musicians and artists in general can be really troubled, and I don't know why Cornell decided he couldn't carry on, but I do know that we need to spend more time being grateful for what we have right now, which is my call to action this week. Everyone will fall on black days, and nobody knows what will be their fate, but we can try to greet each day with a smile and appreciate what and who we have in our lives. And with that, Thank you for listening, and thanks to Nicholas Falcon for our intro song. I'm going to eschew the traditional exhaust note this week for one of my favorite Chris Cornell tracks that so appropriately marries my love of cars and music. Here, friends, is your moment of zen. (laughs) 